Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. video game shows that aired in the aftermath of Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and like wrestling, I am an art form. And with more frag in my bag than Billy got brag, I am Ash Versus. This episode of Video Gaiden aired on the 5th of November 2005. Pro Evo Soccer 5 is top of the video game charts. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Not FIFA. No, it's not FIFA. It's Pro Evo. It's the new king round here. Whoa. I can see that will create shockwaves with at least one member of the underconsole nation. I mean, I was going to call this episode Video Gate and just because it annoys pedants. Uh, you Raise Me Up by Westlife is top of the pops and Wallace and Gromit's Curse of the Were-Rabbit is top of the UK box office. They've mesmerised audiences. They've delighted millions. Job well done, lad. <laughs> Wallace and Gromit in their first full-length motion picture. Gromit, old pal, I'll need assistance. The gardens of England are in danger. This is a disaster. I have the most terrible rabbit problem. From a terror so fierce. Well, they must be breeding like, well, rabbits. It will petrify your parsnips. If you ask me, this was arson. Curdle your carrots. Arson? Alright, someone arson around. <laughs> and chill you to the marrow. Our only hope is Wallace and Gromit. How on earth would they ever catch such a big rabbit? With a big trap. He's... he's it. Wallace and Gromit, curse of the were-rabbit. Hey, give over! I don't really have 
have anything to say about You Raise Me Up. It's a cover. Uh, it was originally recorded by Secret Garden, although Westlife did actually perform it a number of times with Secret Garden, so they at least acknowledged where it came from. But it's it's a song. That's it. It's a Westlife song. It's what I at least know of Westlife's oeuvre. Uh, I was a bit gutted as well, actually, because I originally wrote in my notes when I got the, the date of this wrong, that it was I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor by Arctic Monkeys. And I actually had something to say about that song. I saw Arctic Monkeys at Reading Festival 2003 on one of the very small stages because I was like, well, that's a funny name. I'll go and check them out. And it turned out to be quite good. And that was a real big hit for me at my in my university years. Although um, my friend went to go see them because they're touring at the moment. And they came on to do their encore and they played a bit that you look good on the dance floor as one of their encore songs. And I think then committed a cardinal sin by playing a track off the new album. On, oh. as, as part of the encore... No thanks, mate. You can fuck off with that. You can only do that if the new album's already out, that was one of the lead singles, and it had gone straight to number one. Yeah. Like, if You Look Good on the Dance Floor like had been their ne- their latest single off the new album and had just gone, boom, instant banger, then playing that as part of the encore, that's fine. But I bet you it wasn't that, was it? It was a it was a B track. Yeah. No, no, no. Not not in my world, thank you very much. That is a cardinal sin in my books. Curse the Wear Rabbit. I loved this film. And I still love this film to this day. I actually watched it not that long ago. It was on this Christmas. Oh, was it? Yeah, I watched it on Broadcast TV this Christmas. That would explain then why it was on iPlayer. Because I I was just scrolling through iPlayer with the kids. And I was like, oh, Curse the Were-Rabbit, brilliant, I'm going to watch that actually, because the, the kid was a bit younger at that point and she didn't really care what was on. But I love it, I think it's still, it's really, really funny. The great thing about Curse of the Were-Rabbit is that it's unapologetically a Wallace and Gromit movie. Despite I, the best efforts of DreamWorks. Well, yeah, and I, I, I wish I had re-listened ahead of time before this. I mean, I'm, my, brain, my brain's so frazzled at the moment that I didn't want to do this. But I wanted to re-listen to um, what a cartoon for what a cartoon movie recently did, Curse the Were-Rabbit, and did an excellent excellent uh, production history on it and i wanted to re-listen to that to try and get some some fun bits and bobs from it um because it is a it's a, a brilliant little history that they've got with with Ardman that is kind of continuing to this day because the new chicken run movie is out later this year uh so yeah i, I, I think there's a really fascinating little story between Ardman and dreamworks because they got various notes. I mean, some of the test screenings did make them go and adjust the speech a little because it needed to appeal to that international audience. But also, they looked at Wallace's car and DreamWorks were like, could you make it a sexier car? And they're missing the point, yeah. of, uh, particularly of, of Wallace. Like Gromit, I can see having a sexy MG. Wallace, nah, you don't do it. But... He had to fight, like Nick Park, he had to fight tooth and nail to keep that stuff in. Amazingly, we're getting a sequel to this movie and we're getting it relatively soon, I want to say next year. Well, that's the Netflix deal. So that's part of the Chicken Run thing. You get Chicken Run and you get a new Wallace and Gromit with it. Although, as is good and proper, it will premiere first on the home of Wallace and Gromit, the BBC. Uh, yeah, which, which is good. I, I am glad to, to hear that. But yeah, like that, there's a, I mean, the, the, the story between DreamWorks and, uh, well, for Chicken Run in particular is also like absolutely like fascinating stuff because this is an American company bringing on 
a very British thing to make a very British product, but then not really wanting it to be as British as it ends up being. Like they had some issues with Chicken Run for the exact same things of like not understanding, not understanding the humor, not understanding some of the words uh, that the characters use that were like sort of colloquial terms that the, the, the Yorkshire folk would use. And it's, it's delightful in that. And I'm glad that it remains as unapologetically British as it ends up being, even with the, the few notes that, that come here and there. I do wonder, did they get notes about Gromit being silent? I don't think they got that because, like, they, well, DreamWorks, the reason why they signed up for this is because they loved the wrong trousers. They loved wrong trousers and they loved a close shave. And they were like, well, these are the people we need to work with. Like, let's, let's make more of this. And I think that you know, Ardman were worried that they would just end up doing nothing but um, Wallace and Gromit things. They wanted to be able to do more than just mm. Wallace and Gromit things. But like, what DreamWorks wanted was, like, no, just make us more Wallace and Gromit things. So when they presented Chicken Run, they were like, really had to try and present this as a good idea and the way to do that was thankfully spielberg was there for the meeting it's the great escape so immediately spielberg's in because because yeah. that's something that spielberg gets because what they wanted them to say was like here's what we're going to do with wallace and gromit and what they sat down with at funnily enough hilariously at a chicken restaurant where they only served chicken was we're going to make a movie about chickens and it's the great escape but with chickens I mean, that is the best one-line pitch for Chicken Run anyway. And Spielberg heard that and was like, brilliant, let's make that movie. Do this one, and then we'll do the Wallace and Gromit movie. And then from Wallace and Gromit, you then go, they do uh, Flushed Away, mm. which is more CG than it is uh, Claymation. But it keeps the design. Yeah. And I don't, I think I'd have rather they went a bit further afield on that. They changed, I mean, the thing is, it's their signature style, but I'm like, there is something tangible about those designs that makes them work in a physical space and I didn't like it quite as much. Yeah. I mean, I'll say, I love Curse of the Were-Rabbit. It's not my favourite Wallace and Gromit. No. Because I do think, as good as it is, that slightly longer form, it, it just doesn't hold up as well for me. For me, the best is still the wrong trousers. Yeah. That's, that's just it. Wrong trousers are the best one. Absolutely. It's just perfectly paced. I do like A Matter of Loaf and Death. I think that one is very, very funny. It has some of the best gags in it. But I will always have a soft spot for this one because it's got lots of tributes to Hammer Horror in it. Yes, and, and a very good voice cast in there as well. Oh, Ray Fiennes. I was going to say, Ray Fiennes. Ray Fiennes. Do, I'll doing, get notes on that. <laughs> doing, of course, the vegetable competition. Of course, the vegetable competition. His enunciation of the vegetable competition. He managed to find syllables in those words that were not there previously. He added extra ones. He is marvellous uh, at doing that. Uh, I remember going to see this with a friend of mine. And during the, the final sequence, when you've got grommets in the plane fighting up against uh, Ray Fine's dog, who was also in a plane, she went, ha! And then looked at me and went, dog fight. And I went, oh, of course. Yeah, of course. That's the gag. Just to a little bit of other TV news, on October 31st, following on from our last episode, the first episode of Countdown, hosted by Des Lynam as... Thank you, everybody. And good afternoon to you at home. I hope I'm not too much of a shock to you. Um, I've got a very difficult act to follow with Dear Richard, of course. Much loved by you all, but I yes. should be doing my best. I'm a little bit nervous because I, I hope to get to know the rules in due course. After about 300 programs, I'll crack it, I'm sure. But Carol, it's been quite a difficult time for Countdowners, hasn't it? I mean, yes, I always think of the program, I've watched it for years, I always think of the program as more of a club 
that are programming well yes way. we're all sort of residents of countdownia really aren't we yes, yes we are we're yes. countdowners Yes, yes, absolutely. But yes. it's been a tricky time with the programme off the air, but um, yes. we couldn't rush back, obviously, with no. respect to Richard, and we'll, absolutely. we'll pay respect to Richard from time to time, I'm sure, as we go along. And many in, times, in I've many, no many doubt. Many times. He was a, I was a great fan of his and a lovely man. As does, and this is a big one for me in my university years, the first episode of Deal or No Deal. I saw a countdown of recent, well, not the countdown show, but a countdown, and it was about, like, moments tv went wrong i think this was again over the christmas period they did another one of those and it was the one where in deal or no deal they opened the box and there was no amount inside <sighs> and it's just like it almost fucked the show yeah. like not even just that episode that could have been a scandal that took the entire show down kirsty box number two reveal me a penny my love please Thank you. Oh! <laughs> Hold it! Don't touch it! Don't! Don't! Oh. Yes, it's don't, a penny! Don't touch it! <laughs> there isn't a card in there. Touch it! An act of God! <laughs> Never ever happened before. We've got a camera. We have an empty box. No. <laughs> there is nothing in there. This is going to take some time. David, firstly, sincere apologies for the disruption to your game. Yes. Um, Accepted. And apologies from particularly the independent adjudicator. We've never ever had this happen in 707 games. And uh, I think it does underline the fact that there is only one person who does know where the money is. This person works alone in a sealed room, so has nobody to help them, check them, or ultimately check that every single box was filled. We're very satisfied that this was a genuine human error. However, it is very important that you feel happy with the way in which the game is played from here. So we can give you the option. I'd like you to think very carefully about this. I'll sit down. You sound very serious. <clears throat> well, this is serious because Deal or No Deal is a game of great fun, but we never ever forget it is about money. Uh, we can give you the opportunity to abandon the game and start again. Or what we can do is continue the game, having taken all of the boxes away, the independent adjudicator will shuffle the sums of money again and we will continue the game. So you still have the opportunity to win all of the sums of money that are still in the game at this moment, right. including the one I'm holding, which is what should have been in Kirsty's box. Yes. <laughs> so the choice is very much yours, David. Okay, I'll go for the second option then we'll reshuffle and we'll go for that. And I'm very pleased you're going to play on because this sum of money will remain in the game. It was the quarter of a million. Oh. <laughs> I can't believe that. So we are now going to take all of the boxes away and the filling process will recommence. Sorry uh, for the delay, ladies and gentlemen, but it was David's wish to do it this way. We, it was appointment viewing 
for me and my my university housemates. And actually, like my the, the the girl I started dating while I was at university, her mum absolutely loved it. So we'd always go back to hers, like to 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 watch the show together. We watched so much Deal or No Deal and well got into it. I thought it is a brilliant format, very entertaining. I I will stand by my love of Deal or No Deal. Other than moments that were notable, like clips, I never watched it. And it is because at that point I was pretty much done with Edmonds. I was just I was I was over him. I was past it and I was just like, eh. Yeah. That was it. I love the concept of the show, but the presence of the Edmonds switched me off. And lastly, a note I wanted to pick up here, although we don't get it until April of 2006, and this will be something that comes up in our next episode, on November 8th, Guitar Heroes released in North America. In North America. And boy, howdy, it moves quickly from there. I owned Guitar Hero on the PS2. Not only did I own Guitar Hero on the PS2, I was so enamoured with the concept of Guitar Hero. I imported Guitar Hero and got a flip lid shell for my PS2 so I could use the disc swap to play import games. And I got Guitar Hero on the PS2, and then a little while later, I got Guitar Hero 2, but also Fire Pro Wrestling for the PS2 with Fire Pro, with Fire Pro Returns. Um, I loved Guitar Hero. I loved the first two Guitar Heroes. I was okay with Guitar Hero 3, but then Harmonix moved on to Rock Band, which we will be discussing next episode we will do indeed yeah guitar hero was a big game for me when i was working at game station like that was the peripheral that we had out the most and sort of like demonstrate to the punters and, and things like that or even just we're running out like you know it's a bit of a quiet slow period in in the work day just bust out guitar hero do some and we'll and we'll play through the the story mode again or just like select some tracks and play them it's, it's funny though i was talking to my friend about this recently that the first one is no original tracks. It's all just covers. And it's only until the second one that there's one original track in there, which is Primus. And I believe the legend of that goes is because they couldn't find a covers band that could do it good enough. And so the only way you can get Les Claypool's bass sounding like Les Claypool's bass is to get Les Claypool to play bass. With that entire thing, sometimes it's that those master tracks weren't available and technology wasn't quite there to do what we now can do via frequency and AI assistance of separating out instruments other times it was a case of you can license our song but we're not giving you the master tracks we're not giving you the multi-track recording because that shit will leak and in fairness a lot of them did when they did get them if you hear like mashups that have perfectly clear freddie mercury vocals it came from rock band or guitar <laughs> hero that's just where it came from they didn't even have to leak they just ripped them off the disc mm. but Guitar Hero for me was a game changer and um, the entire series of games and again what Harmonix went on to do with all the rock bands still hold a place in my heart to this day. So I'm very excited to discuss that later. Yes, we'll come on to that in the next episode. For now, we're going to be talking about Video Gaiden or Gaiden, uh, depending on where you are. It is Gaiden. It is Gaiden. It is Gaiden. It is Gaiden. I'm, like, I'm, being, I'm being purposefully glib. Yeah, we say around 9,000 words an hour. We're going to fuck a couple of them up. Yeah. And guaranteed, it's the ones that people will pick up on. It, and it's particularly this as well, because this is a game for, you know, this takes its name from Ninja Gaiden, which, you know, for the longest time, my friends called Ninja Gaiden because that was how we thought it was said, in the same way that we always thought it was Ryu 
for for the longest time as opposed to Ryu. I still say that because yeah. again, I spent X years. You know, I was saying it that one, nine, saying, ten, exactly. whatever. Absolutely, you say it one way for a certain amount of time. That's become how it's said. But thankfully, this is also a show that tells you how it's said multiple times over because that's the stinger. Oh, what you mean, this stinger? Gaiden. Thank you very much, Stinger, for letting us know how this game is pronounced, or this title is pronounced, rather. But it's kind of amazing. You made a mistake, Luke! (laughs) But this is kind of nice to see the progression of Rab and Ryan, because they've gone from making these viral sensations, sort of early-day viral sensations in a pre-YouTube world, who are now making a show for BBC, albeit BBC Scotland, that is, for all intents and purposes, particularly with this first series, just Consolvania on screen. There are some moments in this that I think both of us were shocked by, as in, really, they brought that character over. Like, Legend features in this episode, as does Gacy. That's the one. I mean, they don't go as far as going, let's put Hitler in it, doing another massive art attack. But Gacy is there in appearance, if not in name. And Legend gets like probably the longest skit in this. And fuck me, it gets dark. A little bit, yeah. He's got one hell of a racy joke in there. But the thing, even with it's not just that they've taken the, the characters from this or the style of Consolvania, which is video game reviews plus skits. It's shot the same way as Consolvania as well. This does not look like a TV show. I think both... We, like, while you were re-watching this just before we came in to record, I disagree. I think it does. It just doesn't look like a standard TV show because also I'm looking at it and then I'm thinking of Stellar Street, which also aired on BBC Two. And I'm thinking, it looks about the same quality, which is... It shot on more consumer or prosumer equipment with a skeleton cast and crew. But I I do think this one looks a bit better. It's got better lighting for certain. It's, it's something that but and it's, sound. But because it's just well, <laughs> a lot, yeah, better, a lot sound. better sound. But because it's shot on mini DV, yeah. there's only so far you can take mini DV quality, particularly when you're then putting it on broadcast TV. And in fairness, pretty much every copy of this you will find out there on the internet is potato. Yes. It is 240p. If maybe we had a 480p, maybe you'd feel a little different. Maybe it's just on some of the lighting. There's like, bloody hell. I mean, like, at times this looks like shit Um, because it's filmed on mini DV. That's not their fault. It's just, it's more a case of, I am amazed that the Beeb didn't just give them actual broadcast cameras to, to film this on. But it's also not really designed to be that sort of show. When they do series two of this, it is. The, the, there's a huge difference between series one of uh, Video Gaiden and series two, not just in terms of the length. These first series episodes run to like 10, nine, sort of, you know, very short minutes, sort of like long things. But uh, series two are full half hour episodes, but they're shot on broadcast cameras. They look so much better. And we were sort of texting back and forth about, you know, the, the differences between series one and series two. And the t- the extra time they're given for series two benefits Rab and Ryan's delivery, because that's what the sort of they could have done with the, the internet show, which is take their time. We're talking about games when they're reviewing games in this 10 minute format, they are going at a mile a minute and it does not feel like Rab and Ryan. 
it feels more like Yahtzee Croshaw of zero punctuation. But when you get to series two, it does feel like Rab and Ryan. But it, like in his first review that he does in, in uh, the, the first episode of the second series, it is long, protracting shots of him just walking. It's a lot like the review that he does in the third episode of the Games Master reboots. Ambition. Do you have any left? I do. I do. My ambitions involve art, poetry, cinema. It's my ambition to one day, one day surely, understand love and see the cosmos. It's my ambition to find out some way to let my spirit fly free and sprinkle moments of itself through the history of the human race. None of my ambitions involve coming to a beautiful place like this and telling all you diddies about a brilliant video game you've ignored as usual. And yet, here we are. Here we bloody are a bloody game. But the other thing that I really like about Series 2, because I watched like an episode of, uh, or two of, of Series 2, there is a fabulous runner through Series 2. So Series 1 is Consolvania, but on TV. And bite size. Uh, yes, uh, but Series 2 is not really like... It doesn't feel like Consolvania. It doesn't feel like Consolvania at all, outside of the voices of, of Rab and Ryan. But they've got this fabulous show series-long storyline that arcs through it, which is the show starts with Rab and Ryan doing kind of parodies of make sure you're using the hashtags. They're being parodies of like kids' TV show-style presenters sort of going through these streets of Glasgow and stuff. But then it cuts to... Rab and Ryan watching this version of Rab and Ryan that they don't want to be in this sort of sellout version that they have become. And it's shot in this much drabber style, like a lot more of the colour is drained from it, while they are just like... I wish I could play them for 48 hours a day. Well, mate, you can. You can. You can try. Oh, desperate, you you what age are they now? He's still wearing hats. Everybody knows he's bald. What one? Who cares? How many times is that now? Too many. <laughs> and make those retweets. Engage! <laughs> Good one. Good one. And it's quite a funny little thing, this sort of dichotomy of we know that the show is this sort of like sellout from what we were doing previously, but we are commenting on that. But it's then revealed in episode two that they are stuck there. They have found themselves stuck in this world where they are being forced to watch sellout versions of themselves and they can't escape this room. I'm going to kill myself. Oh, you know that doesn't work. I know you've mentioned that kind of thing. We're going to have to stick up one of the, if you've been affected by these issues, things at the end of the episode. How much do they cost? Oh. There must, There must be some way out of here. I, I can't listen to them anymore. Look, we must have missed something. Why don't we take another wander run? What if something funny happens? I can't handle that. You need to stop worrying. Nothing funny is going to happen. Listen, Ryan, it's us. Nothing funny is going to happen. But it's also like done in this really weird meta style where there's a camera crew filming them. We need a plan B. We should Google for how to get out of an existential crisis. Well, now you've mentioned them, we're going to have to put up one of these signs that says other search providers are available. Hey, that is on here, but it doesn't tell you how to get out of one. Nah, but Can we not just ask one of the researchers how to get it? Hmm. 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 Yeah, I'll try that. 
That's a punt. Excuse me, Hen. Do you know how to, how we get out of this extern, what is it called? Existential crisis. Like incredible crisis on PS1, except less weird. How do we get out of one of them? <laughs> oh, yeah. Why does everything in this place keep coming back to video games? And ZX Spectrum sounds come out and like Jet Set Willy loading screen sounds come out and they're just trapped in this hellscape. And then the whole series is them trying to work out how to escape this hell that they're in. I love, I love the, the, the concept of that. I love that, I guess because when they got to a second series and also they had more time and they knew how many episodes they'd get, it gives them the space to, one, do the reviews, do the segment, do the you know, the normal bits, and then build the framework around it. I really appreciate that. But this is a show that kind of, it kicks off and we get that big Gaiden thing to kicks us off. But then it is just like, boom, here we are. Here are your hosts. Here's what coming up on the show. We have not got a lot. We have got 10 minutes and we've got about five different or eight different things we're going to try and cram into this episode. So we need to get into this as quickly as possible. Ladies, gentlemen, Barry Buttons, welcome to Video Gaiden. That's right, folks. Video Game TV is back on the BBC for 10 minutes. Well, in tonight's show, we're having a look at Call of Cthulhu, Dark Corners of the Earth, and the suffering ties that bind. But don't all scream at once. What's the hand talking like your telepresenter? Shut up. Also, by the look of them, Rab and Ryan are about to go hold up a bank. <laughs> they are stood there looking like proto Crazor or Mitchell Brothers. Uh, quick note on Gaiden. It's an appropriate title because it means side story. And of course, this is a side story to Consylvania. Yeah, and also because it's like Consylvania, it takes its name from... Uh, Castlevania, it's nice that this show also takes its name from another NES title. Yeah. Yeah, we literally are sort of like throwing to, we're going to be reviewing these games, we're going to be doing this. And like, even to a point where Rab then just like, Crikey, you sound like you're trying to sound like a proper TV presenter. And Ryan tells him to shut it. I do want to give a note to Rab on the welcoming ladies, gentlemen, and Barry Burton. Barry Burton's. The name that they sort of like lovingly gave to all of their fans and stuff, the Barry Burtons. Yeah, I, I was just like, yay. Although even with his Scottish accent, it does sound like he's saying Barry Buttons. It does a little bit. But we get the logo flash again, and then we're straight into the first review, Call of Cthulhu, Dark Corners of the Earth, which came out for the Xbox. Let me tell you a horror story. A game spends about five years in development. Lovecraft fans the world over them, including myself here, are all clamouring for it. It finally comes out, and it's a mess. It's ugly, it's boring, and it's very, very brown. Well, here's your old dad, ask him, he'll tell you. Okay. You spend the first few hours of this game unarmed, getting chased across rooftops by idiots. And what happens when you're up high? You get scared. And what does fear do? It makes a shitty camera effect kick and makes you feel like spewing your ring up magic. Oh, and this game's got you escaping through mere windows than a visit to the toilet during a Sony keynote speech simulator. Yes, and the baddies as well. Not only are they daft, they're inconsistent. One minute they can't shoot for shite, the next minute they've took your moustache off for 50 yards. It's not the first Lovecraft game and it's certainly not the best as rap goes into but it is a game it had a very troubled development history it took at least six years and yeah it it just kind of stopped and start and went through a whole different thing i believe it at least changed game engines at least twice the first screenshots of this game were shown in december 1999 and here we are in 2005 with a completely different version. Tail end of 2005, no less. Yeah, it was originally meant to be for the PC and the PS2. And things changed. Eventually, they signed a deal with Bethesda, who are always 
always delivering top quality titles, never ship thing full of bugs or half-assed. And they wanted it to be a much bigger, they wanted it to be an open world game, more role-playing mechanics, more kind of character building. They wanted to have cooperative gameplay so you could have up to four people playing at once. They wanted to basically make a Call of Cthulhu RPG in video game form, which is a noble, noble ambition. Didn't work. I mean, this came out October 2005, came out for the PC the next year, and it's, yeah, it's one of those games which has had to be fixed by people after release. There are unofficial patches that fix some of the problems, but it's got a long way to go. I appreciate the ambition they have here when filming this like as a way to particularly where we just came from uh our lads in consulvania earlier on this year no less where they're just doing video footage while they're doing sort of voiceover on it and you know shooting things on the little mini dv cameras there is a real concerted effort here to try and make this appear more like a tv show so you've got they are ebbing the, the sort of like tilted camera angle and trying to use these Dutch angles and stuff to give you that feeling of uneasiness that you would have got from, from a Lovecraftian story as Rab slowly walks through this, you know, this old style mansion and stuff that you would expect from the, the, the time and the lore while he recites like Lovecraft and this and the other. But the other thing I really like about Video Gaiden is like there might be in a location and they'll be projecting the mm. game footage on the walls it's a really nice thing like in the next episode that we get to do um like when they do psychonauts and it's just it's just ryan in this deck chair and the game's like all around him and stuff it separates it out from every other you know if i'm looking at this and comparing it to the other video game shows that we've had since the end of games master this has got a distinct style to it and it is no one was doing anything like this. And I think I really do appreciate the the extra effort of leveling up Consolvania into a TV show format. It's an amazing thing because even if you took away location shooting, this is a gimmick you could use in a black box studio setting. You could have reviewer sat here, like me or you, just with the corner in the background and two projectors running at angles playing footage while it's recorded. The only problem is it does mean you have to be way more careful on the edit. To the point where I was watching this and because of potato quality I couldn't always work out if it was projected or if it was just imposed afterwards, overlaid yeah. in, a, in a video edit sense. It certainly is in the Psychonauts one and I feel like it's in the Smackdown versus Raw one as well feels like it's, which I would have thought would have been easier to project onto but even that feels like it's more, like it's, it's video edited in as opposed to there on set. But Rab recounts some of what I said, which is five years in development. He says Lovecraft fans, including himself, are clamouring for it, but eventually it comes out, and it does feel very much like we're back in Consylvania because it's ugly, boring, and very, very brown. Fuck off, Batman. Yeah, it's, it was the style at the time, but, you know, it's, it's the zero punctuation complaint of just like, oh, it's another brown game. And this is a very brown-looking game. Not quite as brown as, uh, or I suppose it was more... Yeah, it was brown that Batman begins. It was brown, yeah. Everything was brown. Batman was brown. The Batmobile was brown. Alfred was brown. Everything was brown. I was trying to decide whether it was brown or dark orange, which is really another word for brown. It is. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a different shade of brown. Now who's nitpicking? (laughs) 
But I, I can feel Rab's frustrations with this game and in this review, even though he is going at a mile a minute. It's very unlike Rab. It's so weird hearing him do this style of review. Like, you've made the comparison to zero punctuation, but it does feel like he's doing an impression of, of Yahtzee. But it's you can feel his frustrations in there because you can clearly tell, even without him saying it, he's a fan of Lovecraft. Yeah, or rather a fan of the Lovecraft mythology because being a fan of Lovecraft the person is a very complicated thing. It's like, I love the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. I love a lot of the uh, imagery and the monsters. I've just finished playing Dredge, which is full of eldritch horror. I love that. I think Lovecraft was a fair bit of an arsehole and had some very terrible ideas. But he did leave behind a body of work that now other people can work with and do better things with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe the better way is put it is he's a fan of eldritch horror. Yeah. And say that he loves these sorts of worlds and that he is looking forward to being exploring this. We know that... Um, well, rather, like this is something else that's in the, the second series of Consolvania. They do board game reviews yeah. in, in, in Consolvania in the second series. Forget everything you think you know about board games, pal. There are universes upon 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 universes And they can all fit on a table. Let me show you. Cosmic Encounter is a game of negotiation and conflict. It's a game you can learn to play in 10 minutes, you dummy, right? But it's a game that will never play the same way twice. Uh, so he is a board game fan. Which means likely he's also done a bit of his fair play of role, you know, his fair bit of role playing as well, and has likely done a Call of Cthulhu campaign, which is insanely popular. It's you know it's the uh, the connoisseur's choice if you're getting into a, the, the a tabletop RPG, as opposed to going down the very standard. I'll play some D and D, thank you very much. The more like yeah, the connoisseur's choice. Like no, let me let me introduce you to Call of Cthulhu instead. Like this is a bit more. This this is a this is a proper tabletop RPG. I've actually got the, uh, they did an anniversary reprint of the second edition of Call of Cthulhu. They kickstarted it, and I think they kickstarted it during lockdown, and so I backed it. I backed a lot of things during lockdown. We all did things during lockdown. We, yeah, <laughs> some of us recorded most of a podcast. But it is a perfect facsimile recreation of the second edition with a bunch of the expansions, but it does have a new note from the people doing the reprint going, content warning, this is Lovecraft. This is Lovecraft, circa 1982. You have been warned. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on that note, there, there are some words used in this, uh, in, in these episodes, and some jokes as well, we should know as well. And, and again, in our next episode that we, we're going to do, we kind of made that joke earlier, like last week about, you know, oh, it's so 2005. Oh, it's very internet-based humour. Same applies. Yeah, the same applies here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see his complaints about it being brown. The problem is, and this is particularly, I guess, a problem with this era of gaming where people were still on CRTs, flat panels hadn't properly come in, uh, contrasts could still be an issue. You, want, you don't want a sunny day Cthulhu game. You need darkness, you need shadows, you need greens, you do need browns, but you need that light and shadow contrast and you can't really achieve it right here. So what do you do? you do just make things brown. And it's why I think we don't get like a really good-ish Cthulhu slash Lovecraft game until uh, 
fairly recently, funny enough, by a company that tried to make a Lovecraft, a Call of Cthulhu game even before, mm. um, and development stopped and got handed over to someone else. And then uh, Frogware Games, a Ukrainian developer who've done a whole bunch of Sherlock Holmes games, they finally released The Sinking City, which was inspired by the works of H.P. Lovecraft. Inspired by... <laughs> Note that, Lovecraft copyright holders, and it's set during Massachusetts in the 1920s. You play a war veteran. It came out to not middling reviews, but kind of people who liked the mythology were more into it than people who weren't. But it does look really, really good. And then, in fact, they've done another game more recently where Sherlock Holmes investigates eldritch horror. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So we do get there eventually but just not yet. And I will say that the, um, I think for this review in particular, the sped up narrative works because, as you said, Rab's pissed off at this game. And I think I prefer a short, sharp, angry Rab ranting at this game because also it kind of hints at the madness that you might get by being exposed to these eldritch horrors or the brown. You get it. You want to know the only thing worse than a bad video game? You're looking at him. Nah, I'm only kidding. Didn't expect to see this guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I would, I would say of Video Gaiden, I don't think all of the skits work. I don't think all of the skits are particularly funny. I, I really like the reviews of Video Gaiden, but I didn't love all of the skits. But the one thing I wouldn't have expected was fucking John Gacy showing up on this. I mean, he's a, it's a blink-and-you-miss-it kind of cameo, if you will, at least in this episode. Like, less than 10 seconds, really. He just appears like, on screen and says, there are some things worse than the video game. True. It's, it's almost there to be an Easter egg for the Consolvania viewers. If, you, if Video Garden is like your first introduction to Rab and Ryan, mm. this would just be a little bit of weird. But if you're a Consolvania fan... You'd be like, oh, they managed to bring that in. And I think that's the same with Legend later on. Like, Legend is, if you're new to this, that's a weird way to end this show as a, as a skit. But if you're a Consolvania viewer and fan, you get a bit of a kick out of seeing those characters that you like of being on TV. And then we get this next one, which is an ongoing skit throughout Video Gaiden. Gaiden. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it, I am doing that again. And then we get this ongoing skit that is a bit that carries on through Video Gaiden. You said it right that time. <laughs> and it's called Devco, and it's the show's built-in soap opera, and it essentially comprises of two segments, the first of which is previously on, and the second of which is next time on. And you only pick up who the characters are and what their names are by continuing to watch. Previously on Devco Gaming Corp. Judge, did you see he don't eat? I caught my wife in bed with a fruit machine. What's worse, my son's just come out as a games journalist when you go home. Don't panic, but the new shipment of the new game has been hijacked by Israeli special ops. With the Israelis want me 50,000 copies of Sajid Rabbi and the anti-Palestinian crusade of death. Like we open up on Rabba's Jack, who has caught his wife in bed with a fruit machine, which I felt was going to have another punchline, but it didn't. But what's worse, Luke, and steal yourself for this one, his son has just come out as a marketing man at... Sorry, <laughs> games journalist. It, I feel these skits are just there so they can have their little comments about 
the industry itself, whether that be sort of like, you know, the game development world or the games journalism world. And they could just have a pop of things. So there's one later on, which is, I mean, it's a big IGN joke that we have now in, in 2022 and 2023, but they were doing it here in 2005. Yeah. And we also find out that 50,000 copies of their latest game have been hijacked <laughs> by Israeli special ops. What would they want with 50,000 copies of Sergeant Rabbi and the anti-Palestinian crusade of death? And of all the weeks to get that joke in a TV show, it would be this week. <laughs> and if you've been following the news, you'll know why that is really, really awkward. But they don't even give that joke time to sit because we're immediately on to next time on DevCo. Trouble's brewing as the new character designs they spent $800,000 on all turn out to be pictures of Marvin Gaye on a tractor. That made me laugh because they have a picture of Marvin Gaye on a tractor just made me laugh way more than it should. It's some good surrealist humour and and also the, the, the cutting comments on waste the, the amount of money games dev waste on pointless designs. It also really reminded me of the one uh, opening to The Young Ones where they did the Dallas spoof and just that whole idea of like, it's just going to be a whole bunch of non sequitur jokes. And... Uh, I love this. I don't know why. It was kind of a much, much like the brief Gacy appearance. It was a kind of a, a non thing, a very brief kind of palette cleanser sketch before we get onto the next bit. But I thought the pacing on it was beautiful. The writing was really sharp. The jokes, even though tasteless at the time, still pretty fucking tasteless now, were just well executed, well written. I, yeah, as I said, they didn't particularly work for me, but I like that they're there. Like you say, because I think it is a good breakup. If this had just been review, review, review. Because I will say, I, as much as I liked some stuff from Series 2, I liked the the overarching story thing they've got through, which I think is very clever and, and nice and meta and stuff. And the reviews have got a bit more time to them. It's also so much of a slower paced show that it's actually kind of like a bit sleepy. At least here, it is boom, 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 boom. And it's, it's a much pacier show. And these skits help break that up and actually make it flow even better. Res, Res is a great game. You know, and a lot of people, they say, that's just Panzer Dragoon. Yes, it is. But then you ask, is it better than Panzer Dragoon? Nope. Nope. And that's why it's a great game. So, Res... The, this is a, like a weird thing because this, this gag is, you know, it's the 100 best games of all time where we're never going to get all 100. And it is just so that Rab and Ryan can have their one pithy joke about each game that they can talk about. And I, I absolutely love Res. I love Res Infinite. I think it's an amazing game. He's not wrong with saying, I mean, it is a, it's a rail shooter with music. So yeah, the comparison to Panzer Dragoon kind of makes sense. I would say it's aged better than Panzer Dragoon, but that's also me in 2023 with access to modernish port of Panzer Dragoon on my Switch and also various versions mm. of Res on the PlayStation. But I do just love the line of, and then you ask, is it better than Panzer Dragoon? No. And that's why it's a great <laughs> game. And I thought, yeah, that, that's, that's kind of fair. It's very fair. Chalky Egg has to be in anybody's list of what I thought. List of great games, I mean, not, for example, a list of women that you want to stop. I mean, Ryan has two very separate lists. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he's got next week, whether or not that's also in terms of uh, women that he wants to stalk. But moving to the thing that's more acceptable to discuss, Chucky Egg. Amazing game. Really, really fun game. There were two very different versions of this game. There was the version that had good physics, and there were those that didn't. 
I grew up with the one that did. I played mine on the Amstrad CPC. If you're a ZX81 owner, your version didn't have good physics. But importantly, they were both good. Like they were just good in different ways. And it's uh, been remade, there's been sequels, it's been ported to a number of different things. Uh, last version was a remake in 2017 called Super Chucky Egg. It's a fun game. Amazingly as well, it's not the last time we're going to get to talk about that in our recording session that we're doing today. Or by the same person. Yeah, eggs are a theme. Here it is, Resi 4. Maybe the best game ever made. You ever played it? No, I haven't. I'm scared of zombies. Look, look, there's no zombies in this one. Here's a chance to play it, PS2 version. Right, I will then. Calm down. Wasn't it a challenge? Here's what I'd say. If you've got a GameCube, play it on a GameCube. Looks better, better load times. So you're saying don't buy it in the PS2? That's what it sounds like. I'm saying buy it on PS2 if you've not got a GameCube. There's wee extra bits and stuff, some new missions. I've got a GameCube and a PS2, so what should I do? Just buy it, will you? Just shut up and buy it, right? Shut it! I, I really like these bits of the show where it is Rab explaining to Ryan about the game that they're watching. And, you know, like, this feels very Consolvania. This also comes back with Grado in the Games Master reboot. Doom, yes. doom, doom, doom. Yeah. And, and it's just them watching Resident Evil 4 footage while Rab explains to Ryan why this game is great. And not only why this game is great, but even though we've got the newest expanded version of it here on the PS2, why the GameCube version is better. And it's not just opinion, it's true. It's counting. It's, it's, the, the GameCube version is graphically superior, sounds better. Sure, the PS2 version has some extra content, but even today, like with HDMI outputs on both of them, the GameCube version is better. The only thing better is the Wii version, which had the superiority of the GameCube graphics, but with the extra content from the PS2. Plus, it's got a very fun little gimmick on it where all the uh, video calls come through the Wii modes. I love that. Yeah. It, was, it genuinely took me by surprise when I, when I uh, played it through for the first time on the, on the Wii. Then all of a sudden, my, my Wii mode, my hands started to crackle and the, the, all the video calls started to come through there. Very fun. It still shits me up when like, you actually get games that use the speakers built into controllers because not all of them do. So I forget. And so suddenly your controller yells, Street Fighter 6 <laughs> at you. And I'm like... Okay. <laughs> okay, pad. But yeah, they've got this whole argument at the end of just like, look, if you've got a PS2 and you don't have a GameCube, buy it on the PS2. But if you've got a GameCube, just buy it on the GameCube. And Ryan, trying to be the little trolley prick that he is, is like, well, I've got both, so what should I do? It's like, well, just shut up and buy it then. Just buy it on the GameCube. You don't have the excuse of not liking zombies. There aren't zombies in it. Resident Evil is now more than zombies, a trend that continues. It does highlight one of those, I guess, weird things, which is I don't know if we ever saw the power of the GameCube fully exploited. In fact, I know of the original hardware revision we didn't because the GameCube had hardware in it uh, built to do proper 3D, like proper stereoscopic 3D. It was capable of doing it. They just abandoned the, uh, the, the gimmick for it. They abandoned the add-on. I think we talked about mm. it before. And I do wonder if... A couple of things. If the GameCube had pitched itself slightly differently, and more importantly, if they'd used full-size DVDs and supported DVD playback, I genuinely think that while they wouldn't have won that generation's war... No. They'd have gone closer to the PS2. Yeah, they, they had a real 
tough generation. Yeah. I don't think, I mean, certainly no one expected the Xbox to do as well as it did do. I think everyone sort of looked at the Xbox to be the Panasonic 3DO of its era. But the Xbox ended up doing way better. But also, I don't think anyone could have expected how great the PlayStation 2 did. Or how great, I mean, there were a lot of good games, but also the marketing of Sony. Yeah, that absolutely just took over everything. So the GameCube always had a a bit of an uphill struggle. And because there was so much more emphasis on graphics, yeah, the, the GameCube never really felt like it was catching up with that. A lot of people made fun of it because it was this small, weird, purple box thing. It was sort of seen as this child's toy. Whereas, like, I, you know, I was around this period of time. I am 19 years old, going into onto 20. So I had all of those conversations with you know people and I was, as I was coming out of school and going into university. Of you do not buy a GameCube. That's for fucking kids. Like you are an adult now. You buy a PlayStation 2 or an Xbox. Like it was generally seen as that, despite the fact that they played the GameCube had wicked games that we all bought GameCubes anyway because all I want to play is Smash Brothers. But it really was seen as like that is that's for kids, like that's for little ones. You want to buy an actual like proper blokes machine. You want to get yourself an Xbox and play Halo like a man. I was in my twenties and I bought a GameCube as close to release as I could. Yeah, I love the GameCube. I still love my GameCube. I think it is a vastly underrated console. I, yeah, absolutely love it. And just one last note on the difference between the PS2 and the GameCube versions of this game. All the cutscenes in the PS2 version are pre-rendered videos. They're video playback of the GameCube version. (laughs) All the cutscenes on the GameCube version, for the most part, are done in-game engine. And they literally just captured that footage and digitized it and put it on the PS2 disc. I still remember as well, playing through that GameCube version for the first time. And the quick time event... Oh, God, that caused... I mean, do you want to talk about online wars and stuff like that? I remember people were angry at that. Oh, man, the big war of QTEs that we get over the next few years. I'm personally fine with a quick time event because I think there are some scenes that work better as a quick time event than they would if you tried to apply actual gameplay to it and certainly provide you with at least a little bit of an impetus to stay engaged rather than just showing you it as a cutscene. The Tomb Raider reboot's a good one where there's a bit where you're being washed downstream and you have to do quick time events to avoid being impaled on a um, mm. on a branch. It's harrowing. <laughs> if I was just watching it as a video playback, I'd be like, oh, ooh, that was a tight squeeze. Oh, that was a bit close. As full gameplay, you would die all of the time. But just that quick time event, I'm like, it's fine. It works. It's not doing a full dragon's lair stop being so protective well speaking of harrowing okay nice little slate there for our open studios what have you got for us benny right sir that's all with our audience out there we've not grabbed yet right big beautiful untapped demographic right i'm going to give them something to remember but nostalgia sir right get to the point benny let me present to you sir blind white minstrel show 2007 no benny Look, before you make up your mind on it, right? Let me present our beautiful Booth Babes! Clear your desk, Benny, you're finished. You got it, sir. Um. <laughs> I mean, fuck this... fucking hell, lads. Okay. <laughs> Objectively, this is horrifying. If you've not seen the visual, <laughs> choose whether you want to or not, because if you've just heard the audio clip that Luke's played, Yes, you do see exactly what you think you see. And you're thinking, oh, they're not going to show that. The punchline will be, it's not that. 
It is that. It is. This is the frigging uh, swastika thing from Consylvania we had last week, where the entire time he was building it, I was like, yeah, but it's not going to be a swastika. That's going to be the joke. And then the joke is, no, it is a swastika, and it's an art attack. No, this again is like, oh, no, we're just... Here's some minstrels. Because <laughs> uh, peeling back the curtains a bit, I kind of did the bass notes for both of the episodes we're recording in this session just because you, you've been a very busy boy. Yes, I've, I've had a, a hell of a couple of weeks. And you can confirm that verbatim what I wrote for this section is, Benny's not down yet. Nope. He presents the booth babes that are so offensive, I'm not even going to annotate that bit. <laughs> yeah, I thought I'm going to go back and I was like, yeah, let's just let's find out how bad this is. Oh, yeah, no, it is, it is bad, isn't it? Do you want to know something worse? Because if you're listening at home and you don't know what the Black and White Minstrel Show is, first of all, congratulations, <laughs> you've never been exposed to that. But this was a light entertainment show full of blackface that ran for like over 20 years from 1958 to 1978. 1978, this was still acceptable. And what's most boggling of all is eventually towards the end of the run, they started to book black comedians and acts on there. Lenny Henry got one of his first gigs on this and he's like, I, I'm ashamed. I did it because I was contractually obligated at the time, but it caused him like some serious like mental issues to go on this show and be like kind of look to be accepting of this. But it disappeared in 1978. Thank God. Except it didn't. It continued to do live shows. Luke, when do you think the last black and white minstrel show live show was? I would have waged the late 90s. Oh, no, it wasn't that bad. You've actually gone a bit, you, you got a bit too far. The last is it, is season... It, is this Strike It Lukey again? It is a bit. It's Strike It Lukey, but with racism. It's um, the last season or the last tour was in 1989. So the only reason I would have thought it had gone later into the 90s is because, well, Roy Chubby Brown was still doing stuff into the late 90s. Yeah, but he's one guy on a stage. This is a, this is a troop. Yeah, and, and as an underground, like not underground, but as a touring act, there would have been an audience for this that probably still would have wanted to watch this in the 90s. Do you know where their last series of gigs were? Where were they? Butlins. Yeah, that, makes, that adds up. Yeah, Butlins, Minehead, Bogner, and Barry Island. That was the last official black and white minstrel show, although you can bet some working men's clubs probably did have them until the late 90s, but it wouldn't have been official. No, 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 that's what I mean. It would have been like, a tribute show. Yeah, it's a tribute act, exactly, because, you know, as a, yeah, Roy Jerry Brown, Jim Davidson like, was you know, still doing his brand of humour. He still is now. Still to this day. He's uh, launched his own comedy channel. <laughs> of course he has. Which shows a lot of Roy Chubby Brown. Yeah. Because there is a style of comedian that was, it's offensive and, you know, like in a pre-woke uh, era, and I'm doing big Bucky O'Hare is on that as sort of like as the, the, the catch-all term for this sort of thing. People would have been like, no, I want to have my offensive comedy because I think it's funny. And I like laughing at minorities. Yes. They're hilarious then. I did laugh at this gag. I didn't laugh at it because I like the black and white minstrels. I laughed at it because I just love the absurdity of a game developer pitching this going and not even just pitching it as a game but pitching it as 2006 sorry 2007 just going no this is going to be an annual sequel this is going to be this is going to be like your fifas or your smackdowns this is going people are going to be coming back for this every year and when he's told to clear out his desk, it's just the, aye, fair enough. Yeah. Aye, yeah. And that, that is the gag on every episode, is that he makes a very bad pitch, is told that he's fired, and he's like, yeah, that makes sense. Just to look ahead to episode two, 
I'd have put the episode two version of this sketch first and put this as later on because I feel like you build up. I don't feel the episode two sketch is as strong as this one. Yeah. This one did get a laugh from me because I'm just like, I can't believe... I mean, I can believe this went out on BBC Two because also it's not saying that the black and white minstrels are okay. It is... Go- I mean, literally, the guy gets fired for offering yeah. it up as an idea. It's also... It's on, it's on late at night. We're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're way past the watershed. We're at like a 10 past 11. Mr. Pyramid would you go and put the pizza in the oven? I spent hours making it and I can't wait to eat it. Uh, so, okay, so there... <sighs> this is a purely visual gag. This is, yeah. I don't know how much <laughs> of this is going to translate into a podcast format, but this is a very visual thing. So, you know you know Pyramid Head from Silent Hill? Oh, Red Pyramid thing, that guy. Yeah, yeah. How massive, massive the pyramid is on his head. It's, it's huge. It, it's bigger than an actual average head. I would assume it only feels part of... Like, his head only feels part of the metal shape. Well, imagine if he was in a galley kitchen trying to get to an oven that is at knee level. And imagine if he had a girlfriend that he hadn't, like, shanked with a massive sword and was trying to cook her a pizza. And that's the, that, that's the gag. Should it be as funny as it is? It's weird, isn't it? Because it doesn't, th- it doesn't feel like it should be funny. But it sort of is, though. I think it's... it's get the punchline. Yeah, it's, it's the absurdity. Oh, yeah, well, poor Ian Lee. That's a pin head, forget it. I'm going for dinner with absolutely hilarious gaming celebrity Ian Lee. You're done. Ian Lee's had a terrible old time of it on this podcast. Like, because we were very positive about him, apart from some of his comments that he had when we reviewed him in Thumb Bandits. But ever since then, everyone's just been having a massive pop at Ian Lee. I don't know. I think he kind of comes out okay in this one, which is just like, Ian Lee can cook a pizza. You can't. <laughs> Ian Lee is one step above Pyramid Head. Maybe they should work together. Ian Lee can put the pizza in the oven. I mean, let's look at polyamory as an example. Ian Lee can cook the pizza, but then can you think of anyone better than Pyramid Head to slice a pizza? Yeah, maybe. But it, but if you've got to do it, can't do it in that galley kitchen, though, because then the sword's too big as well. Maybe if he The kind kitchen's of like, the problem here. The kitchen. It's actually nothing to do with Pyramid Head or Ian Lee. This kitchen, they need to be about this flat. Yeah, this has to be the girlfriend's flat yes. that, that Pyramid Head has moved into. Anyway, we'll move into a different review instead. Uh, this time it is The Suffering 2. Horror games, they're everywhere these days. Here's one now. The main character is, as it was in the first Suffering game, Talk, a bad sort who faced execution for the murder of his family and only narrow escape when the prison became overrun by half-dead, half-alive monsters from hell. It's a classic tale, we've all heard it. The first half hour of gameplay in this release is incredibly well paced. It's very subtle and it slowly lets you in on what you're up against, which is great for people who didn't play the first game. But once the pace does pick up and a bit more of the plot is explained, it crystallises what type of game it is you're playing. It's action. Your objective is to hunt down two evil sorts, one possibly responsible for you being half man, half maliform, the other who could be the murderer of your wife and kids. It's personal in other words, the best action plots always are. This is aesthetically. I actually really like the look they went for with the first review. This one's great. The setting's great. Ryan has a couple of great gags. Just his whole thing of just like, Hi, got this game. If you help me out of jail, I'll tell you about it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, maybe not. And we talked about how you know, earlier it was brown is the style of the time, but horror games are also a little bit style of the time. I wonder if it is off the back of the success of Resi 4 that a lot of companies were like, well, what if we had our own version of, of Resi 4? And yeah, this is another horror game here. The argument could be made that Call of Cthulhu was a horror game as well. It's like both of our reviews here are from the horror genre. And it is only now when I sort of like 
take a step back and I do look back at that period of time, I was like, bloody oh yeah, there were a lot of either horror games or like, you know, cover-based shooters. Yeah, and this is a sequel and unfortunately it's not a sequel like a Resident Evil where for the second one they go bigger and better. They give them a new hat. This doesn't even have a new hat. The Suffering 2, I mean, the idea for the sequel came up while they were still finishing the first game. They didn't deliberately leave an open door. They didn't leave a cliffhanger or anything. They were like, no, the first one's just going to be what it is. And I think the writer of the first one wasn't even involved in the second one, but was open to the idea. However, when it came to actually making the second one, which I think only came out a year after, it was a case of, it's more of the same. It's more horror, prisons, shankings, and the blood, and the gore, and probably some brown. Yeah, and I I think Saw... Uh, has a bit of a, an impact into this as well. Sort of like placing myself back into this kind of, this period of time and the success that Saw had at, at the pictures and that then the sort of um, uh, uh, torture porn yeah. subgenre that came out, which was then just like, what envelope can you push in terms of horror that you can see? Then kind of seeps its way into video games of what horror and what gore and what envelopes can we push in terms of violence in games which eventually leads to saw the video game yeah although i will say of the saw movies they were more green yeah, i they, suppose yeah very yeah, green very green and i'm not i'm a huge horror fan i'm not a fan of the torture porn genre but i do like some of the saw movies i think the first one is amazingly exceptional clever exceptional movie i think the first one is awesome If you've never seen any Saw movies because you've just been put off by the fact that they are often labelled torture porn, the first one, while gross, is way cleverer than you are expecting. Yeah. I'm not going to spoil it because genuinely, if you've not watched it and you've not been spoiled for it... Well done. Yeah, well done. Give it a shot. Because my my friend... Treat yourself. My uh, my friend at university spoilt it for his sister before she went to go into the pictures to see it. And, I'd, and I've always remembered that story. I'll tell you it off mic because I, I don't want to spoil it for people here. If you, if you haven't seen it, you managed to stay away. Well done, you. But I would recommend it. I, I, w- I am more sore than I am Hostel, for example, which I, I, I didn't love. I watched... It's rare I turn a movie off. I, like, I didn't go and see it in the cinema and walk out, but I did catch about 10 minutes of it. And I'm like... It was, it was partway through. Mm. And I just caught 10 minutes and I'm like, nah... That for nah. me was a movie that's just like, well, this is this is gore for the sake of gore. Same with Human Centipede. I'm just like, yeah. they're, they're not my bag. If you really like them, cool, cool, yeah, go, you you go for it. You you do you. Probably at a distance from me. Trouble is though, you're sure it's action based, but the developers seem reluctant to commit. For the duration of the game, you're shown past catastrophes and atrocities in the area you're playing in. And there remains the same frequency of these images flashing up on screen, which stylistically is nice, but actually becomes slightly irritating after a few hours. It detracts from what the game does best and tries to convince that it's got fingers and more pies. By pies, I mean genre pies. I have actually played some of this game. Hmm. I, I don't think I ever completed it. I can't remember where I played it or how. But I'm looking at what they're listing as the influences on this game. And they're mentioning things like Repulsion, Rosemary's Baby, Psycho, The Birds, Blue Velvet, Mulholland Drive, various Japanese games like Ring, Dark Water, The Grudge, Neil Marshall's The Descent. And I'm thinking of the game and I'm looking at it here and I'm going, where? Yeah. 
I mean, maybe I do need to go back and play it. Maybe I, I need to go brown again. I don't think it's there. I think that is just listing off things that you like and you think you're invoking, but you have maybe in some cases missed the point. Although, when they go out into Baltimore, they did you do some proper research on this to kind of capture the streets of Baltimore. They watched Homicide Life on the Street and The Wire. Yeah, and again, it feels like we're watching things and, and, and missing the point somehow. And Ryan says the problem is the game will not commit. It's an action game. It should be an action horror game. The developers don't seem so sure. Yeah. Like it, this feels that a lot of suffering too is that style over substance. I, I, I'm going to go back again to that missing the point thing. You know, we can they can list off all of these horror movies that they're taking reference from. But if you have missed the point of those movies or you have only taken one element of those movies, then what you just have is gore for the sake of gore you end up with hostile yeah and and unfortunately i think that's what this movie that this this game ends up being is just well it's got lots of gore in it and weird monsters so we've done it right right one trope it does take from i guess late 90s to mid 2000s horror is the flash frame mm-hmm. it does it to the point that it pisses ryan off <laughs> yeah. although it does eventually lead to him wanting a pork pie and we get a flash frame of a pork pie just in case we forgot what a pork pie looked like. Luke, I now want a pork pie. <laughs> and as we end off our first episode, he's back, everyone. Legend is here doing a press conference ahead of his war with Lisa Simpson 45. OMG, R-O-F-L-M-A-O, baby, legend. Boom, you going to take down Lisa Simpson 45 for the final time. Any questions? You did. Legend, how are you preparing for the showdown? Training, baby. You know, my capture the flag skills, they're fresh as a fountain, slippery as a butter mountain. I got more frag in my bag than Billy got brag. You understand me? Yes, sir. Legend, what's your response to suggestions that your skills aren't what they once were? Bring your controller and face a steamroller. If you're online, your ass is mine. If you got game, I'll take your name and do something to you that rhymes the same. Which is a long-running gag because Lisa Simpson 45 is who Legend claims he beat during Consolvania to like become the champion of Xbox and all this stuff. It, it, it's, a running, it's a running gag and it's nice to see it here. And even if you don't know Legend the character, I actually think this sketch still works because you know the archetype. Yeah, you know exactly what he is parodying here. And so it does work. It feels like it's the longest sketch because this also plays over the, the end credits uh, of the the episode as well, and I, if I much of what we said with with Gacy earlier, and you know them making the reference to Lisa Simpson forty five, these are all just Easter eggs for the Consolvania fans, the Barry Burtons, if you will. Absolutely, he's got some really funny rhymes and stuff. Slippery as a butter mouth, more frag in his bag than Billy got brag. You online, your ass is mine. You got game, he'll take your name and do something to you that rhymes the same. It's really really fun and then the reporter's like yes but i believe you're dedicating this battle to your father and that's where this just goes like record scratch 180 degree turn and suddenly it appears that legend is confessing to witnessing his father murder his mother me and my daddy you know he used to take me out hunt that's where i learned to have a keen eye one day we saw this deer he said it's your first deer son take your shot Daddy, how come that deer ain't got no antlers? He said, that's a baby deer. It's getting away. Take your shot. I said, Daddy, how come that deer? It's got my mama's coat on. And he took that gun himself and he he shot that deer. And he was so happy, man. He was 
ripping his shirt off and beating his chest and he was crying. And I learned I gotta have a keen eye. I gotta take that shot and make it count. The fuck, guys? Yeah. And then it ends off with a hell of a joke here. Let's get back to this online wing day. I'm gonna make my ping sing like a scout hall performing for Jonathan King. And again, you can see the notes I wrote. I just wrote, fucking hell, rap. Yeah, because when I'd watched this, like, you know, I'm there, like, watching this on the train. And before the, the, the notes came through, and it came up, and I was like, bloody hell. That's the first episode. Oh, wait, no. The episode has one more thing for us. Titan. And I guess we'll cover episode two after these commercials. What's the matter? You've been acting weird for weeks. I was married to a Syrian intelligence officer. If anything goes wrong in there, I'd rather have you out here. I don't know what to do. I think I've screwed up. She's wearing a tracker. She's heading northwest. Harry Pierce, get me armed response. Spooks, tomorrow at nine on BBC One. In this place, it's survival of the fittest. It's not about what you know, it's about who you know. Money, power and influence. Nothing else counts. And they call this the greatest city in the world. Rome. Epic new drama begins next Wednesday at 9 on BBC Two. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I can't believe this is actually going out on the air. Radio 1. Chris Moyles, weekdays, 7 a.m. Spread the word. We should go to the cops. No. You wouldn't be saying that to please me, would you? No. Because if you are, and she does, I'll hold you responsible. Funland, tonight at 10.30 on BBC Three. 
It's a world stranger than most fiction. David Attenborough on the trail of invertebrates without mouths or stomachs. On flies who eat each other after mating. And the beetle whose jaws can cut through wood. Life in the Undergrowth, Wednesday at 9 on BBC One. Guiden. Ladies, gentlemen, Barry Buttons, welcome to Video Guiden. Thanks for all your comments on the internet, by the way. You made our mammies great. On tonight's show, we'll be bashing through SmackDown vs Raw 2006 and Psychonauts. Better than a real job, eh? Hey! All right, calm down. Guiden. Yeah, because these are already 10-minute episodes, we thought, well, let's, let's do two of these. In fact, actually, we're going to be following this same format uh, for another uh, episode we've got coming up down the line. So we're going to be doing two episodes here. So we're jumping straight into episode two of this. Aired one week later, Westlife is still number one, but Nanny McPhee is now top of the UK box office. A cool. Film, a film that my wife absolutely loves. And Rab and Ryan are still preparing to hold up that bank. They're still like the same tenement, <laughs> still outside the same block of flats somewhere in Glasgow. However, this is an introduction that really caught my ear because later on in this episode, Rab gets to talk wrestling. And if there's one thing in this world that Rab likes to talk about more than video games, it's wrestling. So now we have peanut butter and jam. I mean, Luke, do you know anything about wrestling? I, I, I'm au okay with it. I, I used to watch it 20 years ago. Yeah, The Rock, because I, I watched it when he was big. Oh, the guy in The Scorpion King. Yeah, that's the that's one. That's yeah, the yeah, one. Yeah, cool, yeah. cool. And The Tooth Fairy. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, The yeah. good one, not the one with Larry the Cable Guy. <laughs> but also, like, I, there's a moment at the end of this when, you know, they, they end this off and they just say, it's better than a real job, eh? And I had this real moment of reflection where it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know what? It actually is because my job is, doesn't feel like a real job. And, it, and it's better than having a real job. Sorry, I mean, I, and I, know, I don't want to sound like a bragging thing here, but I like my job and, I, and I, it's better than any other job I've ever had. <laughs> Meanwhile, I was making notes on this <laughs> on a break from my real job and I had a little cry. <laughs> <laughs> Question, what was the last game you played that you thought was almost entirely without flaws? What was the last game you played that out of the blue invaded your thoughts in the middle of your day and brought a smile to your face? Now, if you'd asked me that question a few days ago, I would have had to reminisce for a couple of minutes, but after playing Psychonauts, I don't have that problem anymore. It comes from Double Fine Productions, a company headed by the masterful Tim Schafer. Now, Microsoft Game Studios ended a publishing agreement with Double Fine just before this game was released, so it really shouldn't come as any surprise that the game turned out to be quite spectacular. These are games, there's a few games that have been featured in the last couple of episodes that we've done here. Uh, the Suffering 2 is one of them that I know the cover of more than I know the game itself because I am working at GameStation at the end of 2005. Maybe it's like, I think I. It's either Christmas 05 I started working there, but I'm certainly there like 06 into 07, uh, that I just saw a lot of the games that we're covering in this episode and we'll be covering in next week's episode as well, secondhand, brought into GameStation and traded in. And Psychonauts is one of those games that I know the cover of more than I know the game itself. I don't think I've played this game at all. And the crazy thing is, I'm looking at it, I'm watching the review, I'm looking at the time frame we're in, and I'm thinking, I really should have played this. I'm amazed I didn't. I don't know what I was playing. I was probably playing that Smackdown game that comes out <laughs> that we talk about later. Yeah, I was probably yeah. playing a lot of that. But it is, it's a really, really fun, retro-future platform puzzle. It, it's 
yeah, it is a very well-regarded game. Ryan loves this game. Yeah. And he's not alone. This game was very well-received. It earned a huge amount of industry awards. It gained a cult following. Unfortunately, like, the company behind it, like, financially ditched on this. It was very, po again, it's another game, very popular with the critics, very popular with the awards crowd. It found a cult following. Unfortunately, cult followings don't pay bills. I think we're going to find a lot. Well, you know, we've had it a couple of times in here, and I think we're going to find a lot of that in this time period that we're in, which is that the mass market games come out to their mixed reviews, but these like actual great games that aren't getting the same marketing budgets don't get the sales behind them, but they do get the plaudits behind them. Well, what happened with this one is later on, Double Fine bought back the rights and re-released it with some quality of life improvements on digital platforms. And at that point, it sold way more. And I think um, like by end of 2015, it had sold 1.7 million copies. Like it, it was doing okay. And a sequel followed 2021, which does have some controversy around it. And it does lead back to this, but We've already talked about Gacy and had a Jonathan King thing. I'm just, I'm not going to go there right now. But there's a, a bad word used in this episode. Oh, there is another bad word used in this episode. Hey, kids, it's 2005. Uh, this is a wonderfully put together skit. I love that he's meant to be in a psychiatrist's office. For those of you that haven't watched the episode, he's in a deck chair because why not? Because we also see him outside later. So I guess it makes sense. But I, I mean, I've been to some therapists. I've never sat in a deck chair. No, I, my therapy sessions weren't quite this relaxed. Um, it, it, deck chair relaxed, that is. But it, it's quite nice as well, because it's, it balances that, well, you know, the, the psych part of this, of like working with a therapist, but also psychedelic, because he is in this deck chair, sort of like looking around, and they're, they're playing these mad visuals from the game around him, sort of projected around him. And it feels like they're sort of portraying as this like very trippy thing. And it kind of works. Like this is the same with the, the Call of Cthulhu review we had in the first episode. They are, and actually with the Suffering one as well, we're using location and style to reflect the game that we're talking about. And we get that again with the, the Smackdown review at the end of this episode. You know, they're talking about how like it's, it's, wonderful threat it is it's charming mm. it's it's welcoming it'll make you laugh out loud it's a this is a review that made me want to go and play this game i've never played it before despite the fact that it is very well regarded and i've been told oh you would really get on with this i've never played it myself i didn't have an xbox which would be why i, I you know yeah I, there's a lot of that generation of games i missed same with the ps3 funny enough because i never had a ps3 yeah i was a 360 guy yeah so there's a huge like generation of games that i just did not play i I didn't play the Uncharted games until I got my PS4 and I bought the trilogy. There was a whole bunch of games that came out on the PS4 as remastered trilogies, collections, and a lot of people were like, oh, they're just sticking out old games. And as someone who didn't have a PS3 during its original run, I'm sad they're going, great. Great. That's wonderful. Particularly because the PS4 bundle that I bought came with Uncharted 4. Oh, nice. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I can't, I can't dive straight into this one. I've got to play the first three. And then everyone kept doing it. was like, just skip through the first one because it's not that great. But I was like, no, 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 I'm sticking with this. And I played the first one and I finished that and I didn't like it very much. Then I started the second one and I never actually finished it. So I didn't even play fucking uh, Uncharted 4, even though it came boxed in my, uh, with my console. But Ryan does say that Cosmopolitan are wrong. It's not about the length, it's about the quality. And whilst this is quite a short game, 
it's the writing, it's the, how it draws you in, it's the characters, it's the way the levels are designed. It's just nice. And I get this, don't get me wrong, I like a game that I can sink 100 hours into. I like a game that drags me in that much. Assassin's Creed Valhalla did that, the Yakuza games have done that, Persona 5 has done that. But I also like a game that's maybe got a core 5 to 10 hour experience where I'm just like, that was great. Maybe I'll play it again, maybe I won't, but I didn't feel like I had a single wasted moment in that experience. Things like Dredge, things like uh, Stray, Stray in particular. Mm -hmm. I'm probably not going to play Stray again, but I wouldn't change the experience I had playing it for the world. Okay, Benny, let's see these character designs you've been working on. Hey, ding, ding, check this one out, sir, right? Oh, what a beauty, man. Fire helmet blood arm, sir. It's not really what will make up your mind, sir. I think you better take a look at the real life. Fire helmet blood arms. Former Mr. Great Britain, Mr. Frank Freedom. Check him out. There's a call of my justice, sir. Clean your desk, Benny. Call me, good call. Well, Benny's back. Yeah, this is, I, I think you're right that this one probably should have gone first because this is not as, like, weird or as... I mean, it is it is weird, don't get me wrong, but it's not as, like, freaking hell, I can't believe you made a black and white minstrel joke. It's just like a, oh, that's weird. And if you didn't actually, you know, watch this episode and you're thinking, oh, shit, how offensive is what we can't see? Uh, it's actually just an old guy with his arms painted red and a tea light on his head yeah. on top of a helmet. It's not offensive. It's freaking weird. It's just weird. This is just more wacky comedy. Uh, and I, I, I don't like to use the word wacky because I think some people can feel it like an insulting word. Um, but it is uh, absurdist. Yes. Uh, rather than using the word wacky. I, I don't think this one lands as well as the the, the, the minstrel one does. I can't believe we're agreeing <laughs> know, on that or saying I, I that. I know, <laughs> right? But like, and the, the, the minstrel one shouldn't land as well as it does. But unfortunately, it does. Although... There is a great Consolvania reference in the background. Then he is. Boxhead versus Manpuncher. It's, it's always there, lurking in the background. WRC Rally Evolved, Dana. Right, there's nothing like a good rally game to test your gaming prowess. Do you like rally games? I like being good at them, so no, I don't like them. This is a belter. Rally games, the problem with them is that they're kind of dead and empty, but this one's full of life. They've done a bang-up job. It's very good, looking. Aye, I'm good at it, isn't it? Yeah, you've got all the driving aids on, though. I only stop me crashing while I'm taking the footage. It's a fantastic game. I don't want to spoil it. Aye, very good. What didn't it? This, again, it's just like, yeah, it's, it's, it's just like Rab trying to get Ryan into rally games, and Ryan's like, nah. I only like games I'm good at. <laughs> In fairness, I, I'm, I'm on Ryan's side here. I do prefer games that I'm good at over games that I'm very bad at. I always hate it when there's a game that I really want to like. Virtua Fighter, we've talked about it a lot. And I'm just like, I'm shit at this and I'm not enjoying it. And it's not even a case of, oh, if I play it enough, I'm going to get good. It's just a case of, I'm going to play it enough and I'm going to throw my controller out the window. Yeah. Final Fantasy VII. Any list like this has got to be in. It's got everything you need in the game. It's got a sprawling, messy story, you know. It's got your overrated music, crap characters, shite design, ridiculous dialogue, horrible fan base full of weirdos, fat birds and pathetic social <laughs> you know. So it's a masterpiece. Oh, I bet there were some angry comments on the internet forum with this latest this, uh, entry. This joke is magnificent. <laughs> Bad word aside, and he does use a bad word in this. He does. It's 2005. That word was more commonly used. It's actually remarkably not even the first time it's 
come up in this podcast because Games Master used it back in series one. Oh, yeah, talking about lemmings. Yes. It is, unfortunately, a word that was used. Bad word. We shouldn't use it. I have censored it in the audio clip. That aside, this is a great gag. This gag is brilliantly constructed. This gag is superb. He's not half wrong. I don't fully agree with him. Um, I've, I, I, no, in fact, I, I completely disagree with him. I was about to say, mate, you want to talk about not having time to spend 100 hours on a game. How long have you sunk into Final Fantasy VII over the years? Yeah, over the, uh, the 15 times that I've played it through to completion. Yeah, like I, I've sunk quite a few hours uh, into playing Final Fantasy VII. It is, is legit probably my favourite game of all time. So I will disagree with him on this one. The story is bobbins, though. Oh, God. <laughs> the story, like, and, and a lot of the characters are a bit shit. But I love it still. It's it's my game. It is. It's a it's a great game, and you know, obviously, I don't think actually believes this. Of course, it's just done because it's a funny bit. Also, a funny bit and a visual gag are the subtitles that they get because I think it was like Games Journalist or whatever before. Now, Rab is Pie Eating Champion two thousand and five, and Ryan's a midget wrestler. Apparently so. Yeah. I I mean I think there is some truth behind Rab's words when he's talking about Final Fantasy 7 because I think using like overrated music because we going back to the, uh, the the magazine reviews that we looked at when Final Fantasy 7 hit our timeline that was sort of the, the criticism against it was like well, it sounds like a SNES game and I never really thought about it when I was playing it at the time but having now I'm actually going through another replay of it at the moment during my lunch breaks and I'm like oh, I can hear what people are saying about this it does sound like a, a SNES soundboard But it does have crap characters, and it does have ridiculous dialogue, and it's got a horrible fan base. Like, pretty much everything he says here is based somewhere in truth. If there are any Final Fantasy VII fans listening to this podcast, we're not talking about you. Oh, no. No, it's the other ones. It's the other. You know the ones. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, there's probably a couple of Final Fantasy VII fans listening to this podcast that are going... Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm one of them ones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they recognise themselves. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you know if you're part of that fan base. No, I, I actually know quite a few Final Fantasy fans. I know that obviously we're just talking as Final Fantasy 16s come out and you either love it or you hate it or you want to see the developers die in a fire. I saw at least one person state that online before Twitter went tits up. Come on, guys. Yeah, calm it, down. It's a, it's a video game. Yeah. Just play a different one. Play play 15 again or if you don't like that <laughs> play 7 again play 7 8 or 9 or yeah. 10 or one of the various 11s or 12s do you know what go back and try 9 again because 9 was unfairly talked about when that came out and I, I think hopefully I'd like to think time has been kinder to that than, than it was when it was first released rather than having your little piss and moan about 16 download f- f- uh, 9 because you can get it through the PS store PlayStation 1 uh, port of it and just go and play that again and reevaluate it. Also, if you want to complain that 16 is too dark, and keep in mind, I haven't played it, so this is just hearsay, go back and play 6. That's got fucking genocide. <laughs> I have guns, the Amiga. That was a classic, an absolute classic. True story, actually. 
It was the game that Chaki Demas used to hypnotise players to become his um, bandmate. Jamaica was, uh, was Amiga crazy back then. I was there. Me, Aswad, uh, Pat Banton, Shaggy. Uh, Sensei Soccer tournament, so it was uh, amazing scenes. But Ryan's game is an interesting choice. First of all, I never knew that about Chakademus and Pliers. There you go. Amazing if true. I would love to have more stories of Ryan's time in Jamaica on the Amiga crazy scene. I, I can see Aswad were probably big fans of Magic Pockets. But Hired Guns is a role-playing video game for the Amiga. Do you know who the developers were? Who were they? DMA Design, <gasps> a.k.a. Rockstar North. Yeah. So it all it all ties together. But this game was insanely well received. It was well received in 1993. It still featured on like various lists of top games on the Amiga. It was a delayed game. Some of the magazines at the time even had kind of running gags about it, the equivalent of Top Gear's good news about the Dacia Sandera type thing. However, in 1996... Games Master ranked Hired Guns at number 62 in their top 100 games of all time. Wow. Yeah. Look at that. So it features in 200 best games lists. There we go. And probably just these two. Just, just these two. But it is well regarded, well liked. It might be locked behind the Sony paywall because while it was designed by Rockstar North, a.k.a. DMA Design, it was published by Psygnosis, which is an arsehole now because it's like, why don't we have Lemmings? Well, well. Speaking Look. of Rockstar. Ah, now here's your proof you can get a good game for a shite film. That's a bit harsh. It's nice and slick. Nobody does slick like Rockstar. The only thing they do better than slick is controversy, not the principle. It's basically Final Fight in 3D, and 18 certificates slapped on it based on a crap film. We're still talking about the film. It's the game we're supposed to be talking about. Right, will you talk about the game? It's basically Final Fight. It's an 18 certificate and it's based on a crap film. Hey, good mindless fun, but. Uh, and it captures the era well, the era that only existed in a crap film, I mean. Look, look I'll be honest here, I, I, I don't think I'm going to pass a lot of comments on Rab's review of this game. He, he's, he's certainly, well, he likes the game. He likes the game. He, say, he says a lot of positive things about this game. He does. And, and I don't think those comments are unfounded. He's just wrong about everything else. Luke, again, shared notes. Do you want to say what I put for this? Uh, it said, uh, Rab says this is proof you can get a good game out of a shite film. This is just the annotation of this episode, and I'll go this into more in my own notes, but Rab, fuck the fuck off. Fuck off with that shite film nonsense right now. I stand by that statement. <laughs> I was, I paused it, I was angry, because here's the thing. The Warriors is a cult film. The Warriors was incredibly badly received at the time. There was various scaremongering tactics about violence in the theatres following it, about it encouraging gang culture amongst youths. Even if, when you look at the gangs, really, they're all going to go out and buy top hats or wear baseball jerseys and face paint. They're, it's kind of ridiculous. They're a cartoon. They are. Literally, the special edition of this movie that was released in the 2000s put fucking comic borders around the transitions of the scenes. And while it didn't get good reviews on release, Roger Ebert, a man we have referenced multiple times on this podcast for having somewhat shonky opinions about films that we like, on a retrospective of Walter Hill's works, Ebert went, I was wrong. When Roger Ebert admits he's wrong, you know there's something to a film. And I bloody love The Warriors. Do you know how much I love The Warriors? How much do you love The Warriors? I ordered the Australian Blu-ray of it today because... 
has the original cut on Blu-ray. Not the special edition, which is a bit shit. It has the original cut remastered on Blu-ray. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> yes, please. I, yeah, like, so it's it's sort of less kind of about the, the review. I think with that, I, I really think with that Roger Ebert thing is, going back to the, the suffering, it is on your first viewing missing the point of the movie and then as the years go on being like oh i missed what the film was actually doing i just thought it was being uh violent for the sake of being violence where actually no there is a, a plot to this movie and there is a point to it what rab is doing here and the reason why i am not going to rise to this mr florence is because he's doing this on purpose oh yeah he is doing this to get a reaction out of people that like the warriors because he knows that people like the warriors because The Warriors is a good movie. Uh, well, it has certainly got a cult following. So by being being so obtusively, it's a shite movie. And saying over and over again it's a shite movie is just a way to make people react to you saying a shite movie. This is the same equivalent of me saying The Dark Knight is a three-star movie. Or dismissing Final Fantasy VII fans. Or, uh, no, I think it is more like my, my Dark Knight <laughs> because I do that because I know it winds people up. So you basically, what you're saying is Rab Florence sat there in 2005 writing the script going, teehee, in 17 or 18 years, two soft southern bastards are going to record a podcast about this and I'm really going to get under their skin because if so, well played, Mr. Florence. Well, I mean, what he probably knew was the internet forums in 2005 would also be very mad that he didn't like the Warriors. And most likely, if you probably went back through all the Rolmuck forums or anything like that, or any forum from the time, people probably were a bit upset that he thought that the, the Warriors is a shite movie. Because people like Rab, and they like the Warriors. And what they want to hear is Rab also like the Warriors. Yeah, I, I admit, I was a little heartbroken. It is, it is a heartbreaking Especially thing. Especially because he sounded high on the game to begin with, and I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. And then, oh, man. But it's a, it's a trip movie. It's a road trip movie. Well, a subway trip movie. Yeah. And uh, it's got a banging soundtrack, which the game, the original PS2 version, does also have. The re-release that you can get now on digital platforms, they lost some of the songs due to rights, which is a crying shame. Like, the last song that plays in the game and in the movie, In the yeah. City by Joe Walsh, is missing. I'm going to do that thing now where I talk about the fact that I wrote a book, and you're going to say the thing. What a book. Yeah, that's the one. Um, when I interviewed Scott Fay uh, for the book about uh, Max Payne, he talked about the Warriors and he said the thing he likes the most about the Warriors is if you're not from New York, it's a really great movie because it is a it's a great journey movie. Like you say, like you you know, they've got to go through this this journey and get through these various different gangs and this sort of cartoon character gangs and whatnot. He said, But if you're from New York, you know exactly the route that they need to take because they brilliantly picked a journey that can only be done through one convoluted system and that's the genius of the warriors is that the route that they have to take is really difficult to do and so as a new yorker you're like oh man they've got quite a task ahead of them now having navigated new york via its public transit system i can entirely <laughs> identify with that but as much as i love the movie and i do i've never played this game I, I saw again, it was traded in a lot when I was working at GameStation, but I never actually played it. But this was like a period of time where there were a bunch of these games that were just like old movies from like the 1780s, just got PS2 games, like Scarface, 
got a PS2. Reservoir Dogs got a The Godfather got a PS2 game. It was just this really weird period of time where all of these old movies got brand new video games based upon them. And I mean, in this review, they do say it's very slick, it's very good, it's all this and all that. Final Fight 3D 18 certificate. Ryan also says it's based on a crap film. Bastards. And I did play it, and I loved it at the time. It's not held up well. It has exactly the same problem as some of those early GTA games, which is you've played later games in the series. It's something we've talked about before. There is a slightly different mechanic to this on the fighting system because GTA's melee fighting system is shite. Always has been, always will be. It is kind of a slap thing. The last thing you want in GTA is to be stuck just fist fighting. That's why cars and guns are involved. The Warriors is better than that because, of course, the predominant idea is you're doing fighting. Is you, you know, you're doing melee combat, fist fighting, baseball bats, that kind of stuff. It tries to be a bit closer to what eventually we saw in Arkham, that kind of chain fighting system. It, it hasn't aged well. Mm. I mean, the game has some moments that uh, you want to talk about things that you're shocked to make it in games. There are scenes in this game that I am stunned about that made it into this game in 2005 because... Yeah, sure, they're mimicking scenes that were in the film, but the film was like in 1979. The black and white minstrel show was still around in 1979. Things were different. And so I'm glad they love it here, but if you are thinking of going back and playing it, and of course you can get it for PS4, I mean PS3, if if you can still get it somehow, and PS5 via the legacy download, be prepared for a rude awakening, the same sort of rude awakening you'd get if you go back and played any of the old GTA games. It, it features much the same kind of plot and idea of the movie. Uh, it features a lot of the same voice actors. They brought a lot of people back, those who were still around. They did have some controversy over licensing because there was at least one guy they just used the voice and the likeness of because they were like, we licensed the movie. We get the content of the movie. He didn't get paid any royalties or residuals. It was a legal battle still ongoing with Roger Hill uh, when he passed away, mm. which is terribly sad and does leave a bit of a bitter pill because I'm like, guys, you made a fucking fortune on this movie. The game made $37 million. They could have chucked him a boat. Yeah. But the game also made $37 million. This was a huge hit. Uh, it was critically lauded. It did, I think, kind of bolster the movie. I know that there was at least one limited edition or collector's edition that was a case of hey buy the game get the movie with it yeah and of course they got the period soundtrack rockstar loved their soundtracks it was the closest you could get to experiencing the movie as a game and whilst i do think there are too many remakes out there and retreads i would love a gta 5 or red dead because red dead redemption 2 did do better like fighting mechanics i would love a modern remake of it with all the power you could throw behind it just rendering Coney Island, rendering mm. all those streets, the baseball furies. Yeah. Everyone loves the baseball furies. They are the shittest gang. They literally, there's a, what, the group called the Orphans? The Orphans are better. The baseball furies look cool. They are the coolest looking characters. They're yeah. the one that people dress up as Halloween. I should know I was one of them. I've, I've, got, uh, I've got two uh, Warriors pin badges. I've got the Warriors, because of course I do, and I've got the furies. Yeah. That was my Halloween costume, uh, Halloween 2000, actually, what was it, 2006? My, yeah, 2006, Halloween 2006, Baseball Furies. But even if you don't go out and play this game, check the movie out. Previously on Devco Gaming Corp. Great news! You're going to mobile phone game development, Jackie Wax. Oh, no. I'd rather program a sexual disease for my own ball bag. 
you've given us a 6 out of 10 review score. That's the last time I let your magazine staff drink my dirty bath water. So this bit of Devco is, well, let's make fun of mobile games. But the one that caught my eye more was more the whole, oh, you're only giving us 6 out of 10. Well, that's the last time that we're going to be sending you one of our games to review instead, because that's happened to me in the past. Where, yeah, where we gave a, a, a comic a bad review. I've talked about this on the podcast before. We gave a, a comic a bad review, and one of the two major comics publications was like, "Well, fine, then we won't send you anything else." Luke, did you drink one of the publicists' bathwater? Didn't do that one, but I think that came up a handful of years ago with that. Um, what's her name? Um, she sold bathwater, her own bathwater. Oh yeah. God, what is her name? It was called like Gamer Girl Bathwater. I'm going to have to just Google Gamer Girl Bathwater, unfortunately. I might do that in an incognito tab. <laughs> do, you have a, do you have NordVPN still? Belle Delphine. There's people probably screaming at the, uh, their headphones. Belle Delphine. So anyway, look at them. They're making a reference to Belle Delphine about like 10 years before it actually happened. I tell you what, it's Rab again. He's like, I'm going to piss off <laughs> podcasters and I'm going to predict people selling bathwater. But... Um, Rab slash Jack did get a brilliant line of this of like our oh, mobile bags I'd rather program a sexual disease for my own ball bag <laughs> <laughs> points for using the phrase ball bag and then there's arguments about programming language that's my favourite gag of this because that's a very good what C grade programmer are you but what sort of C++ programmer are you it's a very clever bit of wordplay and also they're very careful well there are some words used in this episode that have not aged well they're very careful to make sure that this joke lands right because he's like you're burnt out like a fag i don't mean a slur for a gay person i mean a cigarette a non-gay fag (laughs) before we begin let's just get one thing straight okay wrestling is an art form right and in this show wrestling gets treated with the respect that it deserves Let's find out now if Smackdown vs Raw 2006 treats its subject matter with the due amount of reverence. Come with me, El Zomba's got a point to make. Orale! Smackdown vs Raw 2006 is a good step forward for the Ute franchise. You know, the games have fallen into a scary pattern of being much the same thing year after year, but there's a lot of new stuff in this one, and the good thing is this new stuff is geared towards making a more complete wrestling experience. You can choose a pre-match strategy with a quick flick of the right analogue stick and you can play possum pretending you're injured before striking the kind of shit he lacked at Rick. Woo! Flair would be proud of. So apparently, as we get into our next review here, uh, Rab was steaming drunk when he captured the footage for Smackdown vs Raw 2006. So there's no game footage in this review, and instead, it's just the promo material. To be fair, that's fine, because really, what this review is about is Rab talking about wrestling as an art form, and also bringing another character from Consolvania over, missing his friend slash possible lover Hitler. It's El Zomba. This, I mean, it's hilarious, because this is a review where Rab was like, I want to do this review in a wrestling ring. And some researcher went out and they found the location for it. And when they got down there, what they discovered was, well, this is a boxing ring. This, it, is, this is not a wrestling ring. It, it's not even a, oh, this is a boxing ring, but if we put some pads on it, it will look like a wrestling ring. Luke, it's got the wrong number of ropes. It, this is very much just a boxing ring. But Rab is like, well, let's make this work the best that we possibly can do. I'm going to treat this like it's a wrestling ring. 
because he's a he's a wrestling fan. He likes pro wrestling. In fact, when we interviewed him for the Games Master reboot, I was about to go on air for the wrestling podcast that I do for work. And we mostly talked talk about wrestling for a little bit. And he was talking about his relationship with uh, All Elite Wrestling. Yeah. And it, it's wonderful. His niece is a wrestler. She uh, is currently wrestling for WWE. Yeah, tag teaming with uh, Kaylee Ray. Exactly, yeah. So like, he is within the wrestling world and he very much loves it. So like, this is something that he can be very passionate about and kind of be able to live out some fantasies and stuff of doing some wrestling himself. But also talk poetically about wrestling games and smackdown raw 2006 is it's kind of held up as one of the best of that smackdown versus raw series they had the one that came out the year previous which was good it was a bit of a departure from the the smackdown franchise that we're moving now into this raw versus smackdown uh world but then we get into this 2006 and this is like the brand new era it's cena and it's batista on the front cover the two guys who are going to be leading this company into the next 10 years and in one of those cases actually did lead them into the next two years one of them went off to be a much better actor um though he was a very good wrestler but this is a game that is held up now by wrestling fans as one of the best video games of wrestling from this time period not only because it's really fun to play it's still got that SmackDown arcade style to it, but it is expansive, not only in its uh, single-player mode, it's got the GM mode on it. And that GM mode is was so wildly popular that it became a heavily requested feature when the series moves to 2K for 2K to put Geo mode back into the WWE games because it's in 2006 and in 2007 and I don't think it's in any of them after that but it's this sought after loved format and they did bring it back in 2K22 they brought back the GM mode and I was very grateful for that because I got to play it as part of my job and and make a little t- and make a little series about it and I love the GM mode and that's actually one of my favorite things in the new games and actually when I've gone back to play 2006 it's one of my favourite modes there. I mean, while it did kind of retain the arcade style, they did slow it down a bit. And we briefly mentioned uh, the All Elite Wrestling game. That's one thing I wish they at least gave me a toggle switch for, is to slow it down a bit so I could have longer matches. But it was the trope with a lot of the SmackDown-based games that you could have a match that was over as quick as a street fight about. Yeah. And people didn't sell moves. You'd throw someone off the top of the cell and then bounce up in 15 seconds. Yeah, back up. This game does kind of build some of the realism in like you won't be carted out on a stretcher if you go off the top of a cell but you will sell it you will be winded you will stay down and i appreciated that this was one of the games which kind of like i drifted away from the wwe games i was firmly in the fire pro world now because fire pro wrestling returns had just come out at this point or was just on the cusp of coming out and i still had the Dreamcast one with uh, Fire Pro Wrestling D, and I probably still had my, um, still probably had my Fire Pro Wrestling G for the PlayStation. And I was just like, meh, it, it's, you know, it doesn't matter whether I'm watching the wrestling, I'm just not enjoying this style of game. But I remember this one coming out, and like you, I enjoyed the shit out of this. It was a really, really fun game. I really, really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, it, it just kind of, it really picked things up. It stopped it being just another skin swap, another FIFA. They actually built something this time. They brought new content, new expansions, new everything, pre-match strategies, stuff which actually I wish we kind of had now. Yeah. 
I'd love the idea that you could, particularly if you were playing kind of couch versus, in that you're like, cool, we're playing each other. And you could just go nudge of the stick and it's like, I'm going to come out of this match dirty. Like literally the first thing I'm going to do is go for an eye gouge while the referee's distracted. Yeah. I would love for that. That would be so much fun if you could like do that as a little predetermined thing. But yeah, it's really, really cool. And it's really, really nice to, to see this game get so much love from Rab and also wrestling as a whole. This game, I've got a lot of fun memories for this game. Less about actually playing it, because I mostly played the GM modes. Like, if me and my friends got together to play this, we were playing this. Granted as well, if we were playing a wrestling game back at home in my uni house, we'd have just been playing No Mercy on the N64, because that was always our go-to wrestling game. But we would play the GM mode on, on this. The thing I will always have nostalgic memories of, though, is that this game, this is a very odd little story I appreciate, this game came with a like a tops trading cards mm. thing inside of Randy Orton. Every single copy of this game came with a tops trading card style thing of Randy Orton. The idea being that the first one's free. Now go to your local uh, news agent and buy the blister packs, and you can buy it loads, and you can collect all of these tops trading cards or, or whatever they were. Every single one of these games, and this game got traded in a lot at GameStation. Uh, towards the start of the time, everyone traded in the, the wrestling games after a while. And it became a big thing of like, has it got a Randy card in it? And you'd open it up, oh, this one's still got the Randy card in it. So you take the Randy card out and we had a stack of Randy cards that were just kept by the till to be like, who can collect the most Randy cards Amazing. <laughs> over like a period of time. And so we all had our own various stacks of Randy cards. And for those that don't follow wrestling at all, Luke is referring to the wrestler Randy Orton not a selection of traded cards that give them the haul. <laughs> Unless you like that sort of thing, Unless which is personally absolutely fine. Not here to kink shame. No, definitely not. I mean, I'm not sure I'd be into a wrestler that shit in people's bags, but hey, you do you. Allegedly. But again, like this is full on rab wrestling fan Florence like doing this review here because he's doing wrestling moves to people. He does a Ric Flair woo. He's like name dropping Vince McMahon. Like he is full on. Oh, by the way, I like wrestling. This is a stark difference review than the one that Ian Lee gave SmackDown back in Thumb Bandits. This is a review made by someone that gets wrestling and gets wrestling games. I mean, again, visual cues you won't see. At some point, he's got an unseen opponent in an ankle lock. He's wearing this mask throughout. He's having a lot of fun with this review and not only kind of selling this game, but selling wrestling itself. Uh, this is probably my favourite review out of the two episodes. Same here. Also because he references Fire Pro Wrestling. He does, not yeah, he talks about Fire Pro Wrestling again, that knowledge of this is what real wrestling fans like as a game like this is a fun little mainstream one but this is the actual proper wrestling game that you should be going to play and he even ends this thing off with like you know Gaiden 316 it comes with a recommendation doing the Austin but he even does like the Austin taunt perfectly so it's uh, it's fun to see Rab having so much fun talking about something that he's very very passionate about Agent 765 what's your status? Control I'm gonna remain silent so that I'm undetected Ronnie sit down there Control I'm gonna remain silent 
and still. Also just in the wind. Odd little credit sketch, this one. Yeah, this is I get, I get, again, this is 100% visual. It does not translate into the audio realm. I'm very apolo- Apologies for that. It's basically making fun of stealth games where the concept is that enemies in stealth games are like T-Rexes, which is if you just stay very still, they will, ju- they will look directly at you, but just not see you. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's no pyramid head. It's just a girlfriend and a guy... Um, they're in bed together and she hears a noise, gives him a bat, he goes investigate. All the while, Ryan stood there going, I'm going to avoid detection by staying very still. I'm going to avoid detection by staying very still and very quiet. Rab stares straight at him and then goes, ah, just the wind, and off he goes. It is a fun visual gag, yeah. and I laughed at it because we've talked about Metal Gear Solid recently. We talked about your splinter cells, your this, that's, and the other, and that is the gameplay. Yeah, uh, this is also towards the style at the time, taking video game concepts, but but what if they were in the real world? Yeah, and uh, you know, a lot of like web comics made like that was basically their bread and butter for a number of years was. But what if Puzzle Quest was a real battle? And I like it. I, I th- it's, a, it's a fun sketch. It's an odd little sketch. It's, it's less Consolvania than the, the Legend one, but that's also because it's Legend. Mm. Uh, but I, I, I kind of dug this. It was a fun little way to end. You, with the credit sketch, you don't want anything too like visually explosive this is fun. They've got some night vision gags. They've got blue lights on headsets because, of course... Even if they couldn't see you moving, there's fucking bright blue lights on your head. Yeah, I like this. It made me chuckle. And that's it for the two episodes that we're going to be covering here. And I, what the thing I will say about this is because they're bite-sized things, you know, the first episode's like nine minutes and the second one's ten minutes, these are very easy to watch. And because they are at a mile a minute, it, it races through those nine to ten minutes. In fairness, I thought this would be a much shorter recording than it is, but then I realised, because they're a mile a minute, we have a lot to cover. Yes. But I had a blast discussing these episodes with you. They were so much fun. We got to talk about games and movies we loved, and we got to see more of Rab and Ryan, and we can see more of them coming up. But but Luke, I mean, what did you think of this? I think we're both pretty high on, yeah. on this as a expansion of Consolvania. I am. I'm. A, I am quite high on, on Video Guide, and I think it is good. I don't think I loved it as much as I loved Consolvania. I think I preferred the the episodes that we looked at uh, for for last week's episode because I think that it's a it's a bit more free to go to the world. And I know they got to do some of their stuff here, but it doesn't. I think I prefer the more freedom that they had with just being an internet show. It's one of the things I, I, I find this to be more fascinating than, than, than anything else because the first season is just Consolvania, but it's on the BBC. The second series does not feel like Consolvania. It just feels like Rab and Ryan making a very serious TV show for the BBC. And it's, it's nice to kind of see their progression and their growth as presenters and as comedians and as writers and as you know like uh, video game journalists and this this feels like a youtube show i mean it sounds silly to say but it's consolvania but with a different name and in a much shorter format but with a little bit more money a, a slight amount more money yeah but i so i and with better sound yes that's what it was, it's called better sound i don't think i loved all of the skits uh, as much as like i did with uh consolvania but it does get a thumbs up from me because this at least has personality to it. 
which is more than you could say for say like Ultimate Gamer or Gamepad. Like this has actual got this has got some personality in front and behind the camera. I mean, particularly in the case of Gamepad, Gamepad may have been more technically proficient, may have been more polished. It looked like a TV show. It looked like a TV show, and it was very well made in that regard, but this had more individual character and spirit. Yeah, exactly. I absolutely loved it. It's made me want to watch more, much like we talked about how we want to watch more Consolvania. I want to watch more of this. I want to watch through... The rest of Series 1, I want to watch some more of Series 2 because I started checking that out because you were talking about the differences in Series 2. So, yeah, I want to just experience more of this and, and just enjoy it because, again, much like Consolvania, I remember this, but at the same time, I don't. And no. so I'm like, I'm watching, it feels like I'm watching it again for the first time, but with vague kind of hangover memories that occasionally go, oh, yeah. This was not on my radar. In the same way that Consolvania was, because I you know, people would talk about when they came into Game Station and things like that, or you go around to a you know friend's house. But it's kind of the things I was talking about last week. Video guiding was not on my radar, and it was not in conversations the same way that Consolvania was. So. Yeah, I, this is very much my first experience uh, with Video Gaiden. And I think that's why I was so surprised that it's so much like Consolvania. But that's going to do it for this week's episode. Next week, we are actually jumping ahead quite a number of years. We've had quite a nice little, like, steady progression. We've gone from, like, 99 into 2000 into 2002 and then 2004. And we've spent a bit of time in 04, 05 and 06. We're going to be jumping ahead to 2009 for our next episode that we're doing in our timeline as Charlie Brooker takes his very well-tried-and-tested format that he's done about news and TV and applies it to the video game world in what it basically becomes a one-off special. But that is next week's episode when we look at Charlie Brooker's Games Wipe. But that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. You all rule. You can find us on social media, on Twitter at UnderConsolePod, on Instagram at Under.Console, and you can send us an email to feedback at UnderConsultation.com. And if you want to interact with us in real time, if you want to chat with other listeners, other fans of gaming, old and new, pop culture from all decades, you can do so over on our Discord. If you want to watch me playing games, including... Uh, All Elite Wrestling, SmackDown, Raw, whatever the WWE games are called now, I've forgotten. Maybe some Street Fighter 6, maybe I'll play some more retro games. You can do so over on our Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv forward slash under console pod. And if you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod, where you'll get access to UCN, Under Console Nation, our monthly community show hosted over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod. If you're back to the £5 level, you will get next week's episode one week early and ad free. And if you're back to the £10 level, you get your name read out in the credits like these fine folk Adam D, Adam Warrington, Alexis, Andrew, Andy, Arcadio, Bill, Chris, Chrissy, Two Stick. Colin, David Palmer, Gordon Aiken, Gordon Brantz, Gordon Dempster, Harriet Mangagirl, I am Cheadle, Ian Roberts, Ian Williams, Jamie Smith, Joe McGonagall, Joe Mitchell, Kevin Kylie, Lawrence Link, Mark, Matty Boo, Misha, Nick, Phil, Retro Fun for Everyone, Reese, Richard Downer, Richard Major, Sean Selena, Simon, Super Sexy Dave Fisher, The Amazing Cliff, Tom Dylan McEvoy, Tom S, UBD, William Cottingham, Xanderthal, and Zach. We will see you in seven days' time. Take care, everyone. Good night.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.